Shalom, shalom. Welcome back to Chatting Rabbis, episode number 47. This is Eliezer Zalmanov in Munster, Indiana. Mendy Hitchuk from Istanbul, Turkey, currently driving from Tzvat to the Ben Gurion airport. What brings you to the Holy Land? I'm sure you're there often, but uh, what brings you there now? I'm not uh, I'm not very often. I am here when I need to, and um, this time I uh, came just for a couple hours in order to uh, to drop off my daughter at the, at the school where she's studying in Beis Khan at Tzvat. Um, the reason why I uh, decided to drop off my daughter there, because... Um, it's her third year. Uh, the past two years, whenever she traveled, it was alone because of she, Corona. She's a high school student. She's a high school student. She's going into 12th grade. And um, she traveled alone because of Corona. There were restrictions of getting into, into Israel. You had to go in if you travel in, sit for two weeks, uh, quarantine, etc. So I decided that um, you know all the other kids uh, had... Uh, you could call it a privilege, or had the experience of me taking them at least once to their yeshiva. So um, I decided that um, I'll take her to Israel, I'll take her to her school, so she also has the experience of uh, and the memory of her father taking her to school, something which uh, my other kids had um, when uh, I took them to yeshivas. Um, while at it, while we went to... Uh, last week we, we, we spoke about the tuition, and where you could call it a tuition crisis, a tuition issue. And I, we got lots of calls and lots of uh, people complaining. One call in particular, um, or one complaint in particular, from a certain yeshiva that says, why do you speak about us? <laughs> and I said, well, I did not speak about you at all. We did not even mention, not even one yeshiva by name. We did mention a seminary by name. That was because, uh, uh, you know, I had to uh, to speak about the caveat of my father being a principal of a seminary. Right. So right. full full disclosure is important when you're when you have a uh, That's a right. relation. So, but we did not speak about any yeshiva in particular. So I was not sure why they said, but yeah, but we were the first. That um, we we instead of fundraising, we threw the ball to the courts of the parents. I said, well, okay, so you're the first of this bad uh, bad trend and that very wrong approach to uh, the purpose of a yeshiva, the purpose of a, uh, a hanhala or the directors of the yeshiva. But I was not speaking. But you actually did not have them in mind. But now that they mentioned it, well, I know I still don't want to mention them by name. But nevertheless, yes, I'm talking about right you. because the, because the name the name is not important. What, the, the way I understood it, and, and we spoke about it, we touched upon it last week a little bit. But the way I understood it is that um, uh, the base Chana, where your father is employed, was the was the first Chabad institution to throw the ball into the court of the American parents to uh, help fund their uh, their their institution from top to bottom, and this yeshiva that you're talking about learned from the, the uh, seminary in Tzfas to uh, do the same for Yeshiva Bachram, especially since the majority of the Yeshiva Bachram going to that school were children of Shluchim, and the uh, the presumption was that the Shliach can just fundraise, a Shliach can make another phone call, and 
and and can can uh, can find a few extra thousand dollars somewhere to to pay the tuition. Why should we make ourselves crazy? So yeah, that, that's uh, that's that's pretty much the case. That uh, the uh, the girls' school was first, and then this, this yeshiva got the uh, got the idea from them. And before long, all yeshivas basically were doing the same thing. The yeshivas are still fundraising, and they're not covering everything from beginning to end by tuition. But I think that the majority of their of their expenses are covered by tuition. I don't, I don't know the exact numbers, but I would have to say that it is. And um, another very important comment, which I received from one of uh, leading Chabad rabbis, and that was actually, I thanked him for listening to our podcast, one of the leading Chabad rabbis in the United States. And he said that he, uh, yes, he listens to the podcast every, every week, but he also wanted to add that uh, from what he sees in his uh, very, very uh, um, strong, very... Uh, expense um, experience he sees that the tuition crisis is um, in his very blunt words he said this is the birth control within the Chabad community in other words the tuition crisis and the fact that parents have to pay so many uh, tens of thousands of dollars towards uh, education starting from kindergarten all the way to yeshiva and marriage, is causes people within the Chabad community to have smaller families. Is it fair to say that raising a child in, I, I don't know, other from communities, but specifically in the Chabad community, from birth to marriage, and not that the expenses end at marriage, but from birth to marriage, is it about a half a million dollars a child? Is that a fair uh, number? I'm not very good at math. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm also not very good at math. For this, I need to uh, ask my daughter that I just dropped off in Tzfat. But um, <laughs> it's definitely a very, very, uh, very, very high number. And it's a number that most of us are unable to cope with. That most of us, especially when we demand people to be to be teachers or to be a klei kodesh, to be a shoichet, to be a moel, to be a seifer, to be a rabbi, to be a shliach, and it is it's very 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 difficult. And he says, from his experience, his unfortunate experience, he says that when people um, today younger families have smaller uh, smaller families because they are afraid that they won't be able to cope with the tuition. And I think this it's, it's something to which I have not thought about um, so much. And it is, it's something which really, really hurt me to listen. Yeah, we touched upon it very briefly last week. You mentioned that we, obviously we have an obligation to, uh, to have, uh, no, I don't know if obligation is the right word, but it's a mitzvah in the Torah to be fruitful and multiply, and, and we, we take that literally and we have large families. And... Well, then we're faced with this uh, with this roadblock to fulfilling that mitzvah in its most uh, ideal and pristine way because of the uh, the high cost of tuition. Of course, life costs money, but when uh, you add onto that the uh, the tuition, um, somebody mentioned to me last week another uh, fan of the show who listens often and very often sends me his feedback. He said that he uh, he thinks that the real reason because we, we, we were trying to figure out what the cause for it was and uh, of course yes the schools aren't doing uh, aren't doing their share in the fundraising maybe but it says the real reason the real cause is that the standards of living have changed so our standards of living meaning the uh, the parents and the shluchim who are raising children and sending kids to school we live a lot more pampered lifestyle than our predecessors did or the shluchim of maybe the 50s and the 60s and the 70s even and secondly, the teachers, the employees of the school, also 
have a higher standard of living than they did back then. So somebody has to pay the bill. Someone has to pay. So we, we have higher standards of living, and therefore there's no reason that our children's teachers shouldn't have that same standard of living. And, and when, uh, when the schools look at the numbers at their expenses, that goes back to the original conversation that we had last week about uh, where should this money come from, and it's easier for them to just roll it back to us rather than to, uh, to, to put, it, put themselves out there and fundraise for it. Right. Uh, other other comments which which I received were from a very very dear friend of mine who was calling me about a total different uh, issue that he had with the yeshiva. Now there aren't that many good yeshivas, and good is not necessarily the right word. Good is a uh, good yeshiva is relatively um, is is something which is always relative, and a good yeshiva could be any yeshiva, any yeshiva where your son. Or daughter will be happy with is a good yeshiva. It's a good for them, but uh, you know it's uh, the, the trends are certain in certain ways, and the certain yeshivas have good years. Other yeshivas have less than good years, but definitely not enough of good yeshivas to satisfy the demand, which also brings the whole issue of uh, of, uh, of of tuition to a different light because the yeshivas could demand this money because the, the demand of acceptance is very high and because of the monopoly because of the monopoly because they got themselves a good name so a yeshiva can um, you know just send you a bill before the year for $22,000 and say go try to figure out how to come up with this money but you know honestly speaking the yeshivas that have a good reputation a good name and the yeshivas that have a less than a stellar reputation are all still charging the same amount. So a few thousand here, a few thousand there, some charge more, some charge a little less. But it's not like the good yeshiva can tell you, if you don't want to pay this, go to the less, <laughs> the less, uh, the lesser yeshiva. You're still going to be paying similar dollars. To, you know, obviously, we're not naming names and we're not uh, categorizing yeshivas here. But it's not like you're going to be saving that much money by sending them to a second-class yeshiva or a second-tier yeshiva or whatever the, the, the description would be because the, the, everyone's charging the same. Every, no, nobody's giving away free tuition at any of these institutions. Exactly. Besides in Israel, in which the, the costs are significantly low. But... Um, uh, which we, you know, as parents, we did try for a few years. It hasn't always worked out because, you know, it's a different place, different mentality, different conditions. And it's not right for every child, especially people living in the States to send their kids all the way so far to uh, to Israel. It's uh, Travel is costly. Separation anxiety is costly. And not to have a, uh, not to be with your child in the same time zone is also costly. Uh, costly both in health and psychology and psychological pay so um, yes it, it is definitely cheaper it's also of course because of the uh, the support the very generous support of the of the Israeli government towards all higher education including yeshivas you know I I, uh, I just sent my son to yeshiva overseas so what you're saying is correct uh, that the um that the time difference the separation is a lot more significant when uh when it's that far, when the time changes, time difference is like seven, eight hours, and the mentality is different. And I'm seeing this firsthand now with my son who went to a yeshiva that has a very good reputation as being a great yeshiva, uh, with the one downside that the hanhala, the administration of the yeshiva, is not is not active, hands on 
in the running of the yeshiva. The students arrive there and they're pretty much on their own. I'm not sure where this yeshiva's great reputation comes from as being a place where, where th students thrive. Um, he, my son's only been there for less than a week now, so hopefully uh, we'll, we'll learn that soon. But at the end of the day, if, the, if you're, we're paying for, and, and we're paying a lot, maybe not as much as the yeshiva thinks we should be paying because they gave us nice discounts as we discussed last week, but we're paying thousands and thousands of dollars I would at least expect that when my son arrives, he should be welcomed. He should be at least introduced and guided. My, my, our children, as they're growing up, they're not babies. They don't need to be coddled and they don't need to be taken by the hand and walked around and show them where, where the toilets are and how to brush their teeth. That they're very well uh, acclimated. But when you come to a new place, especially overseas, and there's a language barrier, and my son says he, he was placed in a secondary dormitory, not in, the, not in the regular dorm of the yeshiva, but in a place in a basement somewhere with 22 other guys sleeping on top of each other. So, again, we're paying for it, even though, maybe, like I said, we're not paying everything that they expected. But I would expect them to return my calls and my emails Tell me what's going on. Why is there over? Why is there overcrowding? I would expect them to at least clean the dormitory before the kids come in. Even that doesn't happen. I, I mean, the other yeshivas that I that my children went to did. So obviously, there are some that are doing a much better job at at uh, administering and running their yeshiva than others. But again, like you said, there these yeshivas can just say, you know what, you don't like the way we're doing it, go somewhere else. And that's my fear. Obviously, I'm not at that point yet. I'm still trying to deal with them and trying to get answers from them. But if I were to tell them, you know what, my son is ready to leave, you know what they'll say? <laughs> Send them home. We have someone else that wants to take his place. And that's, not, that's obviously not what we want. We want there to be a better solution to that. But I don't know if they're yet on the same page and ready to, uh, to make changes. And people have been doing the same things for so long and they're so entrenched in their in their mannerisms and in their methods that you know who's this new parent first time parent sending us onto this yeshiva who's going to tell me how to run my uh, my institution and how to take care of things and so but let me tell you something that which i've heard from my father as a principal of a of a of a school of higher education of a seminary for so many years and he says you know the parents hate the most they hate the most those, uh, the, the, not the parents, the, the, the school administrators and the Hanhala. They hate the most those parents that keep on calling every week to find out how their kids are doing. He said, it's really, really annoying. But you should know, he says, the kids who get the best attention and they get the best follow-up are those kids to those annoying parents. He said, because I know there's a father who calls me every Monday to find out how his daughter is doing. Which means that out of the four or five hundred girls in the seminary, every week I have to make sure to look and make sure to see how his daughter is doing so I should be able to report something. Because he, because he knows he's going to be calling. And that's, that's, that's true. You know, on, on one hand, we, we want to be hands-off parents, especially as our kids grow older and they're teenagers and they're almost tw in their 20s. We want them to be mature and to figure things out on their own. But at the same time, like you say, the school knows that this parent is going to call and wants to know what's going on. And unfortunately, most of us are more likely to call our, our, uh, our children's schools when there's an issue, when there's a problem, he doesn't like this, he's not happy with this, or the teacher said this, the teacher looked at him the wrong way, please call the, you know, 
that's that's usually when we call. So if we do make it a habit to a call just out of the blue to see what's going on, and b to call with with the good things, with a good report, with the compliments. You know, thank you for doing this. We're very happy with what you're doing for my child. And then they're they're surprised and they're waiting for the follow up and the complaint. And when there isn't one. They're like, hey, well, thank you. I did that with my uh, my son who went to camp this summer. I try to do it every summer, but sometimes I forget. Um, at the end of, you know, we were always emailing back and forth and we're asking for it for a break on the uh, camp tuition. And there's issues with the travel and there's issues with this. And they want to change their bunks and they want new counselors and the food's not good and this and that. So inevitably, most of the, most of the communication with the camp director during the summer is complaints and issues and problems. But after my son came home and he, all his luggage arrived and, and he He's very happy and he's telling us with so much enthusiasm. Maybe he was missing a few socks, but he's so excited and enthusiastic about his summer and how much he loved it and how much he did this and he learned this and he met this person and he sang this song and he went on this trip. So that night I sent an email to the camp director, just, uh, you know, I thank you for for a great summer. My son came home, really enjoyed it. And I added, uh, I know that how difficult the last two years of uh, with Corona has been uh, to, to run a camp. So, you know, thank you. I appreciate it. And the, the response was right away, uh, within a few hours. Wow, thank you for the positive feedback. You have no idea how much it means to us. And, uh, you know, I sent it to, uh, to my daughter's camp also. Once I realized how much the, uh, the director of the boys' camp appreciated, I sent it to the camp that my daughter went to also. Well, there were less issues during the summer, so I didn't uh, communicate with them as much. But I haven't heard back from them yet. I don't blame them. But, but um, anyway, but be that annoying parent. Right. So, tuition. Be in touch with your with your children's teachers. Be in touch with their mashpia. Be in touch with their people who are, who are going to take care of them. Not only those who feed them information. That's also something which I found. Um, you know, I have not been that successful with that, but I did, definitely did, did try at every place to to uh, to connect with the mashpia, with the one who is supposed to give them spiritual guidance to life. And to try to give the kids the necessary attention, which will be able to build within them trust in the system, in the yeshiva system. I have not been that successful with that uh, throughout the years. Um, I have found some, uh, some yeshivas and some yeshiva leaders to be completely emotionally deaf. And um, people who, besides going giving their class and charging the, uh, the fees from the parents, haven't really cared about the the, the student um, as much. Can you say can we use can we use the term incompetent or is that too harsh? It's not even harsh at all. They were just like they should be in a different line of work. Exactly. Go be an accountant. Don't be, don't work in a yeshiva and deal with the kids as if they are just numbers. And I've uh, had my shares of a share of experience with some of these, um, which have been has been very very frustrating. Um, some of them even have been uh, relatives of mine. You know, we both have quite uh, large families, and uh, we have our uh, relatives in, in various branches of uh, of the Chabad educational system. That's usually the most the most difficult thing because inevitably in every school there's someone that we know, there's someone that we're either related to or friends with, or someone that we grew up with, or someone that knows our parents. And when we want to uh, take a stand on something, it becomes a bit, uh, uh, you know, somewhat of an awkward situation when you have to be harsh and and, uh, and tell them it is, tell them what it as speak and say things as as they are, as it is. And unfortunately, not always are they, uh, you know, in tune. 
right. and not always are they on board in actually taking what you perceive to be their job more seriously and more emotionally and be actually involved with raising children. I, I, I heard a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, I heard on a, on a let's say neighboring podcast, I heard a very very beautiful beautiful um, vote from a rabbi who said that he took his son to one of the gedolei soil and asked for a brocha for a brocha that his son should uh, turn out to be uh, you know so the the the, the rov you know I forgot his name rov says as that the child should come out normal. So he was taken aback. He says, that is what I want, my son to be normal. I want him to be a, a, a Talmud Chocham, a scholar, a chassid, this, that, not that, to be normal. So he tells the, the rabbi, that's what you're giving him a bracha, to be normal. So the rabbi says, Be happy with that. Come, that exactly. you'll accomplish that. Exactly. You know, put your, let's hope that, that this happens. To, to be able to, to, to raise normal children normal which means mentally balanced with a healthy sense of appreciation to themselves and to the people around them to be able to uh, to bring up children who have a healthy self-esteem and together with that uh, the humility uh, to deal with other people to be able to communicate to others their weaknesses and their strong parts to be able to take charge of whom they are is something which is all part of being normaler, to be normal. And it's a challenge these days. And all these, uh, you know, principles of yeshiva, seminaries, I believe that this is what they should measure themselves. You know, I'm, I have, uh, I'm very, very far away from education. I'm not an educator. I am a... a uh, it's a different type of work. I'm a shliach. I'm not in the education business. But still, I sense it for my kids. I have eight kids, ranging all ages, and and I I think that many of our of the those that we, we sort of give our kids to them to be their guardians fail that test, fail the test of actually looking after the well-being of raising children to be normal, to be normal, to be well balanced, mentally. Physically, religiously, and everything else. I'll never, I'll never forget. Some a friend of mine told me that he was talking to a friend of his who he went to yeshiva with, a fellow uh, yeshiva bacher, and they got married at about the same time. And my friend went out on shlichus and started a chabad house. And he was talking to his friend who lives in Crown Heights in Brooklyn. And he, this friend, instead of moving on shlichus, became a teacher in the local school. And he was talking to his friend who's on Shluchas and says, yeah, the reason I, I decided not to go on Shluchas is because I'm not really a people's person. So instead, I decided to become a teacher. And that, that might be the, uh, where, where, where the issue lies, that first of all, teachers, being a teacher is sometimes looked down as, oh, you couldn't make it anywhere else, so you became a teacher. So first of all, we have to encourage people that are good at it to take the job. And second of all, if you're not good at it, if you're not a people's person, you shouldn't be going into that industry. You should be, like you said, become an accountant or uh, sell uh, sell gas masks on Amazon or whatever it is. I mean, there's plenty of ways to make a living in a Parnassa that doesn't have to come at the expense of children who are literally being entrusted into their care and their entire life depends on the, on the few years that they're going to school. If you're not a people's person and if you're only doing this because eh, it's a job, 
then you should uh, think twice before getting into it. It's literally sakonis nefashis. It's, 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 a, it's a, putting lives in danger. Yes, and this comes to another discussion, which maybe we will talk about it. That within the, we'll talk about it at a different opportunity. Within the Chabad community, um, it seems that the more, uh, not to say the best and the brightest, but the more uh, in-tuned uh, people end up to go, to go on shluchas. The less... Uh, mentally and psychologically in-tuned people end up in the education system. And that definitely has certain... Now, there are uh, exceptions. You have, we have to say that. There are yeah, exceptions. There, there's always, always exceptions. There, 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 there are plenty of exceptions. But yes, overall, if your kids, if you have, like you said, eight kids, I have seven kids, and they're going through a host. I mean, the, the last year we were dealing with four different schools. This year we're dealing with three you'll you'll come across in every institution or that at, at, at some level or another someone who is completely not qualified and shouldn't be there so um so i was dealing uh, last year with six different schools wow. so um we know eight kids six different schools it's a challenge it's a challenge to in each school had its own challenge um you know i'm not saying that our kids are perfect no kid is perfect but, well, if you're a teacher, if you're a principal, if you're an educator, it's maybe your job, and we're paying plenty for it. It's your job to to sort of tune yourself into your job. And we're paying plenty for it. We spoke about in this podcast, and last week we spoke about the, the, the burden of tuition. Us parents definitely want to get return on the large money that we are investing here. Not always does it happen. After last week's podcast, someone texted me that uh, because we wrote in the description that, that we even offer some solutions, he said he was very excited to listen to what the solutions that we're offering are. And then when it came to the part that the, the only solution we had is for uh, for people to, uh, for, for school administrators to put it, uh, put more effort on their fundraising, he was very disappointed because that's not new. It's not our chiddish. It's not something that we came up with. But I think a, a, a solution that can perhaps come out of this episode is that people that are in Chinuch, people that are in the education field, if they're listening to this podcast or if they hear about it from someone else, can, can remind themselves that, that uh, we, we take them seriously, we take their job seriously, and they should take it seriously too. And again, not, not saying that most don't, but all it takes is for one school or one yeshiva or one administrator or one teacher or one mashpia to be incompetent and that can destroy a, uh, a child's life. And to say, and, 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 he, and he could be competent in many, many ways, but sometimes if he sends the wrong vibe, if he say, says the wrong word, he could definitely turn a child totally off. Yeah. I mean, I know, I'm, 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 a, I'm, I'm a product, of, like anybody else, of the typical Chabad yeshiva system. And I had teachers growing up, uh, I went to uh, the main Chabad school in Crown Heights, al and I had very good years. I had a few teachers here and there over my years going to school that were less competent than others. Um, some, some, without naming names, were completely incompetent. It, it didn't hurt me as much because maybe just that was just the type of person that I am, and I grew up to be totally fine, 100% uh, with the program. But I can see that there are children that would have suffered children that did suffer because of these teachers incompetence and the the last thing i i would want is uh is to see a a child 
my own child, your child, a friend's child, or any child, uh, be completely turned off from, from Yiddishkeit because of their experience with a certain, with a specific educator or with a specific school. It's, uh, it's dangerous, and uh, hopefully the, the, uh, the solution is for people to take it seriously. I mean, and if you're not going to take it seriously, then like we said earlier, you should be in a different line of work. All right, good talking to you, Eliezer. It was a painful discussion, but uh, hopefully it can have some effects. It has to be said. All right, take care. Have a safe trip home.